Even for you, it's not even for you. If you do not have one of these, and you need one of these, see me and you can have one of these. Anybody? Anybody? Oh, I beg your pardon. It is, uh, it's the Birkat Hamazon, transliterated on the left and in English on the right, and it's handy. And from a ministry perspective, even if you already know it, you might want to take one of these so I don't throw them away, fold it in half, stick it in your Bible so that if you're sitting next to some goy who doesn't know this stuff yet, you can teach them. See? You have a Geniza now. <laughs> Just, yeah. <laughs> yeah. Is, is the name really there? <laughs> the name is there. Okay. Okay. So you have a bag. So yeah. <laughs> so we'll be we'll be putting all these away until we can give them all away. That's right. <laughs> Who knows him? Let him let all us are key. tune fool you when I go down for the harmony. Don't go down with me. <laughs> go up. Stay up there. Come up with something else. Where's Christine? Do me some alto. You know. It's <laughs> hard to get up there when you start so hot. <laughs> I didn't think I was hot. Blessed are you, O Lord, our God, King of the universe, who nourishes the entire world with goodness, grace, devotion, and compassion. He gives bread to all flesh, for his devotion is eternal. Because of his great goodness, we have never lacked, and we shall never lack nourishment forever and ever for the sake of his great name. For God provides for and nourishes all. And is due to all and prepares nourishment for all of his creatures which he has made. Blessed are you, O Lord, who nourishes all. He still went down a Amen. Okay. You know the rules? If you're sitting far away, speak up so that Mike can hear you and we can minister to those in. Kenya, Canada, the Ukraine, Trinidad and Tobago, yes. Idaho, and faraway places like Estonia. Okay. 
This is the fourth portion of the uh, year, Vayura, which means? And he appeared. Yes. I see this uh, broken down pretty much into seven parts. And uh, as I did the last time we were together, instead of me sitting on that stool and breaking my back, I'm going to just walk back and forth up and down over here, and you just keep talking to that table over there, and we'll do just fine. Um, I am trying to encourage you to bring your children and let them sit, listen, and learn, and uh, absorb. For those of you who don't have children, or it's been so long you forget how it is, if they make some noise, don't turn and look at them. Just ignore that and keep moving on. It's called family, and we're all about family. Amen? Amen. 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 All right. We're, uh, we're going to walk through these sections, and as we do, uh, I'm going to ask you to try, and uh, knowing that you've already prepared, we've read the portion and the Aliyah each day, Sunday through uh, the first day, through now the seventh day. Uh, you're familiar with the portion, so we're not going to read it. But... As we go through each section, I would ask you to raise your comments about Yeshua, our Messiah, to the top of your list, and then some of the weird and esoteric, cool things that we want to hear about, you know, and we love that mystical stuff, let's make sure we get the Master in there first, so that we're lifting him up and putting our priorities where they ought to be, because I understand that your brain can only endure or absorb what your fanny can endure, and uh, I've been told by those, all of those who are pregnant in the room, uh, that at two hours we have to take a break. <laughs> that is going to happen. <laughs> all right. The first part of this, we have a son promised, and um, if you don't have a, a Hebrew copy of the scriptures and you're looking at an English Bible, uh, you may not know that Parashah Vayira begins in chapter 18 and verse 1 of Bereshit or Genesis. So God did appear to Abraham in the plains of Mamre, presumably about three days after his circumcision, ouch, while he was sitting at the entrance of the tent in the heat of the day. He looked around and saw three men. And we begin there. Jump in anytime. If you don't, I will. Okay, Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 2. Who has that? And can give me verses 1 and 2 of Hebrews chapter 13. Anybody get nobody's got the apostolic scriptures except Alex. <laughs> and Lori. Oh, and Lori. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unaware. Unawares, yes. The, uh, the Talmud says that six things are said of human beings. They have three things in common with ministering angels and three things in common with animals. The three things they have in common with angels are that they have an understanding like the ministering angels, they walk erect like the ministering angels, and they can talk in the holy tongue, Hebrew. That's cool. Amen. Amen. The three things they have in common with animals are that they eat and drink like animals, they reproduce like animals, and they relieve themselves like animals. That's the talent. So, the, the question uh, the question comes: Were these angels eating? 
No. No. They were pretending to eat. They were pretending to eat. That's what the sages said. They were pretending oh. to eat. They made it look like they're putting it in their mouth and the food just disappeared because they don't really eat. I think that's ridiculous. I think that's ridiculous. <laughs> it's almost duplicitous. It is. If yeah. they appeared as men, they were eating like men. Okay. That's a okay. But by now, this, we learned that we should follow the local custom. <laughs> there you go. There you go. When now, in Sodom, do us. <laughs> <laughs> So, the Talmudic sages, those are the ones on that wall. For those of you not familiar with the wall, we've got Adam, a thousand years later. We've got Noah. 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 A thousand years later, we've got Abraham. A thousand years later, we have King. A thousand years later, we have King. Mashiach, Yeshua. A thousand years later, we have... A thousand years later, we have... You. Exactly. So... In the Master's Day, until a thousand years later, uh, 500 years later, that's the Talmudic age. That's where the Talmud came into being. It was written down in order that the people would not forget because they were being dispersed. The sages of that era believed that what I just said was true. That the uh, angels do not eat. Think the Master believed that? You think that Tommy Dean, the disciples, believe that? Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. If um, if you've got your Bible... That's right. That was in the British Isles Exactly right. The back end of uh, Luke, right? Chapter 24, isn't it? Is there food? He appears, oh. and they're freaked out. They think they're seeing a ghost. But is the ghost as yeah. as an angel? Well, they think they're seeing a ghost or a spirit. Again, maybe a ministering spirit, right? <laughs> and he tries to put them at ease. He says, wait, 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 look, look, look. Look at my hands. Look at the side. You can touch me. Not I've got flesh and blood, which you can't really feel, but flesh and bones, right? You feel the bone. You feel the muscle. Right? <laughs> <laughs> you got flesh and bone. And then he goes further. And he wants, to, he wants to slam dunk it. He wants to make it clear. He's not some spirit or ministering angel. He's a man. Has he proven Got food? Yeah. Give me some food. Yeah. Give me some broiled fish. Let's go. Yeah. Which is proof that he was Italian, perhaps? Absolutely. <laughs> Thank you. My friend, my friend Jonathan, the uh, pseudo-Italian. That's exactly right. All right, so. Honorary Italian, that's right. So, uh, so there we have it. A little tie back to the master himself. I think it was interesting, and I don't know what the significance is, but in this, when the angels appear to Avraham, Scripture calls them men first. Yes. But when they appear to Lot, it says that they're angels first. And, these are, and these are two out of the same three guys. Right, right. right. Mm-hmm. And he, he obviously thought they were men because of the way that he treated them. It was exactly the same as yes. Avraham. But mm-hmm. it's interesting that the Scripture almost feels like it has to say that they were angels to, in, in his case and not in Abraham's case? I don't know. Well, I, I would say, and I'm jumping in quickly, and I apologize for that, but I would say that to mention that earlier in the story would detract from the other one who was there. Mm-hmm. And that other one clearly is addressed and seen as a man in the beginning. But very quickly, we realize this. What is this? Who is that third one? Yes, sir. 
going back to what you just read in Luke, what exactly are you implying? I mean, Jesus was... He wasn't man anymore. He wasn't man anymore? No. You think he's not a man anymore? No. Why? He's... God. Was he God when he was on the planet before? Yes. He was God when he was on the planet. Was he man when he was on the planet? That was a specific time in history. Okay. He doesn't have that co... I mean, I wouldn't think so. Maybe... What do you think? It's a good thing to explore... I guess I'm I'm confident. Nobody in Bolivia can hear me. All right. <laughs> to the Bolivians. Great. Great. So he's seated at the right hand of the majesty on high. Yeah. As a man? And, yeah. And he's going to return as the lion of the tribe of Judah. Yes. As a man. Uh, amen. I would say as a man, I don't see I don't see an indication that we should think that he's not now a man. He ascended, all he ate, he ascended, he's seated, he's returning. He, there's one mediator between God and man, the man, Messiah Yeshua, the and Lord. And that seems to be a timeless yeah. thing. So yes. good point. I think the eating, what my, my point was that yeah, he was demonstrating he was still a man. Yes. I got see all the hands. I got you. We'll, uh, we'll go to Brother Ken first. Also, in his glorified humanity, it says that uh, when we see him, we shall be like him. So, in the sense and, of human... And we know we were started as guys, we're going to end as guys. Lori started as a gal, she's going to end as a gal. Good. Also, the fact that, um, that Hashem and, and his glory cannot be in the presence of evil. And, if, and it's hinted to in various places. So, if there's evil in his presence, the evil is gone. That the evil person will die. Okay. But here we have Sarah lies, you know, uh, to God. So I didn't, I, I didn't laugh. and says, "Oh, I think you did." So that, <laughs> that idea is again, if this is if this is Yud Hey and Vav Hey, then how in the world would Sarah have lied to his face? An epistemological cinder. It has to be, a, a, you know, a, a humbled version, which would be would be Mashiach, you know, a man and, and God. Now you jump into another point we haven't gotten to yet, but I like that. Hang on one second. Yes, sir. I'm just thinking about as far as his manhood uh, or his position as a man. Um, that's the whole point of the resurrection. Mm-hmm. His body came back. Yes. Because mm-hmm. otherwise, it's not a resurrection because it's a fake. It's, it's just yeah. It's, it's just a spirit or some sort of you know <laughs> metamorphosis. Right. So he turned into gas and seeped out through the cracks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we come back. It's, it's, and, it's glorified, but it's still a body. Yeah. Now that's not opinion, by the way. That's that's scrap. That's scrap. That's fact from the scripture. It's not. Yeah. Right. So in this First Corinthians chapter fifteen, if the resurrection didn't happen, we, we might as well just have a you know a blast yeah. sinning. Because we're without hope. Good. Did so I jump on? Sorry. That incident in Luke, though, happens before his final ascension. It does. Uh, so you could argue that he had not yet taken, uh, he had not yet taken his seat at the right hand yet, because he had not yet made his final ascension. But that's really a secondary issue because throughout Scripture, he's we're, we're taught. All the way back in the Torah, we're taught Uh-oh. that Mashiach is the one who ascends and descends. Amen. So he goes up and comes down and goes up and comes down. Jacob's ladder. When he wants. Amen. Because he's Mashiach. Yeah, and, and have we not seen him before? Right. Okay. Right here. Right here. That's, that's very good. Very good. We have. Yes, ma'am. Well, in Revelations, when he returns, yes. it describes him. Mm-hmm. It says his name will be written on his thigh. Right. I mean, he's given a man's, you know, part 
of a body. I mean, you know, the, and he'll be riding on a horse, right? A white one. I, I, yeah. I think I read. So it. it's a physical yeah. description yeah. of him at best. Yeah, no question. Um, he's he's, and I wouldn't say he's been given a body. He actually got born in that body. Yes, thank you. Yes, he's he was. Yeah, <laughs> you know, it's not like an angel who no, appears to be a man. That would be a manifestation. That would be a theophany, perhaps, if it's Messiah. Otherwise, it's a spirit, right? Appearing, Hebrews thirteen, right? In this case, we know he was born as a young man. Yes, ma'am. Yes, born. He was born. I think I think the interesting thing um, in recent years to me has been to see God as a man before the birth. That's kind of what I was going to say. Exactly. Like we would put it in time as well in right after that big split between the Old and New Testaments, that's when God's around as a man. Yeah. Before, we, it was different. We had to interact differently. And, and I found it fascinating as we've kind of gone through Genesis to see even then, yes, these theophanies. maybe even starting with walking in the garden, that, that, that this, yes. it was the same. Yes, that God has chosen to manifest himself in ways in which we can interact on the mountain, in the garden, in many ways. So what's the difference, then, with Yeshua? He was born. So now he's not appearing as a man for our sake so that we might interact with him, but he actually is a man. And in the study class, we just went through the temptation of that man, and that he literally was tempted and could sin and chose as we should not to chose obedience. Yes. Not not to preempt because I know that the common and and, and uh, Jonathan brought up Mashiach as being present. Not but the common notion and the way of speaking is that somehow Jesus showed up here in Genesis chapter eighteen, and I don't I don't think that that's what's being said because the notion that he was born means that there's a point in time when the man Yeshua was born, and to give. Jesus' character, as it were, to what, what we're calling a theophany, I don't think is, is what Scripture is indicating at all. I think you're right. So can I can I go ahead and say, would you agree then that it was a manifestation of Mashiach? Absolutely. There yes. we go. Yes. So to call him Yeshua is, uh, what's that called? Anachronism. Chronological. Anachronistic. It's anachronistic. I, that's what I was thinking. Yeah. When people say a pre-incarnate Christ, and, and what they're trying to say is it's before he was born, but the, but the key operative there, there is before he was born. Mm, right. you know? So I think it's, I think it's, it's yeah. at, at odds with it. Yeah. Yeah. As, as long as we understand it is Mashiach who was the instrument, the something cause, the something cause of creation. What is he? The uh, he's, he's not the actual. Yeah, the first right. cause. He's, isn't that the first cause? He's the he's the. It's a legal term. It's it's the it's the person that does the doing. It's the. Uh, I got two attorneys. Nobody knows. Holy cow! That's right. Cause. That's right. Anyway, who did? Say it again. Proximate. Uh, second one. Too. You attorneys are right around. We're usually around. The impetus, the efficient cause. Uh, you know, I'll, I'll look it up in my notes. I'll find it. It's okay. Yes, Josh. But I think that regardless of how we don't need. I think it's a mistake to try and just like break down the nature of God as oh is this is this Yeshua is this 
Abraham does it for us. He looks at him, he says, you know, my Lord, you see Adonai, okay, Vate, show up here. God's not three different persons. Good. Mm-hmm. Amen. God is God. Yes. And he right. reveals himself and, he and manifests himself Amen. as Echad, as Messiah, as the Spirit, yes. and as our Heavenly Father. So I think in this case, that is that Echadness is emphasized here to the point of indivision. There is not well, this is the God on earth, and then there's the God, the Father in heaven. Good. It is the same. Good. Good. Well, and so, but, <laughs> I would just say that we don't want to throw out the word person altogether because a man died on the cross. No, no question. Oh, Use the word man better, though. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely. Yeah, I, yes. I just think we need to steer clear of the ontological argument. What does that mean? Yeah, thanks. Ontological. We're not looking at, we're not trying to dissect this, this. I'm trying to demonstrate the deer in the headlights look. <laughs> we're, not trying to, we're not trying to dissect. Sect is Joshua said the beingness of God. Right. When we have so many just yeah, different yeah. schools of, 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 of psychology in the world to, right, to right. try and understand our own being. Right. Let alone God. <laughs> 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 just just crazy. Now, who do we think we are? <laughs> my friend, my friend, the council. Yes, sir. I was. <clears throat> well, as we've been talking about this, I was thinking about Melchizedek mm. and the. Uh, Possibility of him being a theophany himself. It's possible because he's been described as ha- one having no beginning or ending. Yeah. And whether that's kind of a theophany of Messiah Yeshua before okay. the incarnation. Well, let's just say a theophany of Mashiach. Yeah. Right. I think that's to your point. Let's separate. I, and actually, I was trying to make Joshua's point, but I didn't know he was going to make that point. <laughs> good point. Good. Good. Excellent. Yes. Explain that word. Theoph- whatever. Theophany, uh, an epiphany is something that you see, right? Okay. So it's it's a theophany is a visible manifestation of God. Theo meaning God. Theo God. Fanny. 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 Yeah. You see. Phantom. Phantom. This is like a, a a vision, right? So a theophany is a visual manifestation of God. Who is it that wrestled with Jacob? We would say at the end of the wrestling match, it must have been a theophany. Right? right at the beginning, some guy jumped on his back. Who did he probably think it was? Esau. His brother Esau. <laughs> sure, man. Now I'm going to wrestle all night. I wrestle all night with my brother too. I won't let you go. Well, now we get the whole light thing. You know, I ask me my name, and you know, and then the what he calls the place, Peniel, the face of God. You know, yeah, obviously, then we can convert that and say, well, it wasn't necessarily a man. Maybe something appearing to be a man. So now we've got either angel or God. Can't be both. And Jacob comes to the conclusion it was in fact a theophany. The prophet Hosea says exactly the same thing, that he wrestled with God himself. And Targum Yonatan says he wrestled with yod Hey and vav What does Israel mean? Right. Right? Good. Was, was your hand? Are you writing or are you done? You good? Were you looking at me? Oh, Stop looking at me. <laughs> <laughs> Since we're going to Jewish tradition at, at, at points here, it's very important to understand that Jewish tradition totally rejects this concept yeah. that, that, uh, and repeats Paul's uh, comment that, that Hashem is invisible and could never be seen or manifested. 
That's current Jewish tradition. Uh, no, no, I agree. Right. But that's the current, actually, probably even the Talmudic age, that he could never be seen. Yeah, I, I would say the back end of the Talmudic age. But in the Master's Day yes. and prior, right. you know, things were... Pure. The wild west. Pure. I like that. <laughs> pure, wild perhaps. West. Good, good. All right. So... That's the first verse. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> One thing that I love from this passage is the, yes. sage, the sages talk about um, uh, Abraham is in his third day. He's in pain from the circumcision. He doesn't, you know, so God says... So, he, let me interrupt you for just a second to make sure everybody's on the same sheet of music. Why do the sages say that he's sitting there kind of <clears throat> recuperating from his circumcision. Because that's what just happened. That's what just happened. A couple of verses prior to this. Chapter 17 ends with the circumcision. He circumcises somehow himself. Wow. <laughs> Intense. Yeah. And his, and his son. That's why we call him the patriarch. You know, I'm sorry. Go ahead. <laughs> and then God visits him. And we actually see two cool things we learn from this. The first one is that God rewards the righteous by giving them more opportunities to be righteous. Because Abraham, it says that God's in a heat wave, so no one will bother Abraham. He's sick. He's not feeling good. But... Abraham's hospitable. This is his very nature. So it would be disappointing to him to not be able to serve people. So God himself appears so that Abraham has this opportunity. At the same time, we also learned this lesson that's really powerful to say, just point out, that God himself visits Abraham when he's sick to teach us that we should be visiting the sick. And so we see the same thing with Amen. Yeshua. When he's speaking to his disciples, you know, that... As you did to them, so you did to me. Yes. In the same sense, here we see as Hashem Himself does, so we should do. Amen. Isn't that cool? And I can tell you that if there's any portion in the Torah for you to really grasp onto, it's this one. Yeah. If you can't see Messiah in this portion throughout, it, it's you. You ought to be blessed out of your socks. If not, your blessers broken. You should be able to see Him. It's so painfully obvious in this portion. So we can pick away at this, but that whole hospitality deal. I mean, the sages go off on the fact that Abraham is just known for being hospitable and for reaching out to strangers and so forth, and the faith is born of that, that Jews should be charitable, with tzedakah and so forth. Yes, and just kind of picking up on the circumcision uh, notion, this this visitation happens on Passover, right? Which means, if you just kind of do the chronology, his circumcision probably happened about the tenth of Nisan, mm-hmm. and during this three days would be the traditional period where you're you're inspecting the land, right? Yeah. And and so he circumcised himself and his family on or about the 10th of Nisan, and now he's in this three or four day period of introspection. And he's probably doing some introspection. Yeah. Right? Yeah. He yeah. probably can't do a whole lot else. That's right. So, uh, and, then, and then, you know, then Hashem um, shows up and, of course, makes this uh, makes this declaration to Sarah that at this time, I think the word there in Hebrew is moed. I think yeah. at this time next year, you you're, you'll have a son. You know, and then she laughs and all that, uh, which of course also then is how we know that Isaac was born at Passover. Right. So oh. the key thing here is 
and, and I know you guys probably heard me say this over and over again. Say it again, brother. Every significant thing that happens, well, I'll say almost everything, because you know, maybe there's something I haven't found yet that doesn't matter. But, but almost every significant event that happens in the life of God's people happens on a moed. And that's the purpose of the Moedim. So, we, we just read that that's the purpose when we went through Genesis chapter 1. That's why you put them there. Excellent. Thank you. Just to support that, it was I, I thought it was interesting how it does say cakes and bread specifically in this matzah. one, but then with, with lot it talks about matzah, matzah which is a little bit after. Wait a minute. How did he know that he only, you're only supposed to do matzah way before when it was Passover even talked about? Kind of been like, oh, yeah. It's like Noah knowing the clean and the unclean animals. Yeah. ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3ですね。ま、3
uh, teaching, if you will. And there's one for each book of the Torah, one for Ecclesiastes and Ruth and so forth. So if we're talking about the Midrash Rabbah on Leviticus, we use the shorthand to say, well, we're, we're reading Leviticus Rabbah. And it's commentary and the sages' tales and so forth. Leviticus Rabbah 34.8 says, well, there's no contradiction here. And they go through two different ways that this works for those that separate. The first is that Abraham put out the curds and the calf, the milk and the meat, and it was consumed by these people in that order. First the milk, that course is done, then the meat. That would be consistent with the way those of us separate. We would eat the milk first, and then we can go ahead and have the meat. That works. The other way that they go through it is to say, well, he put out milk and meat and left it up to each one of the three to determine, were you having a dairy meal today? Were you having a milk, uh, a meat meal today? It's like a kosher restaurant. That's right. Which one did you want, right? So you choose whichever, and each one chose only one versus the other. And the other follow-up to that that the sages also explain is that the, making the calf would take time. So they suggest that he brings out the, the milk and the and the butter and stuff first. Right. Appetizer. Sate that thirst, you know, cool off in the hot of the day. Then comes the main course exactly. with the meat later. Stop. Exactly. You don't give people butter to nibble on cheese. Mm-hmm. Cheese. Right. Yeah, that's right. Cheese. <laughs> let's, let's make an Italian. I mean, come on. Yeah. One thing, okay. just so we're here, uh, it's kind of cool. They point out that Abraham goes to Sarah to ask her to make the bread. And then it also goes to the youth to make the, the, the to prepare the calf. And this, the tradition teaches that the youth was Ishmael. So again, we see Abraham, as we'll see in a second, God makes a big deal about Abraham. Um, he loves him because he will teach his family. We see that Abraham's not just teaching in word only. He's going to his family and saying, we're hospitable. God wants us to be hospitable. I'm going to include you in this hospitable work, which is cool. So it's more than just, we're going to have teaching time now. It's, you come and join me in this good deed. We'll do it together. Amen. Good, good. And I can tell you that my family can sit here and uh, proclaim that that is, that is exactly what we do. You know, I'm, it's not my wife and I that are hosting you. It's my entire family. Amen. There it is. Good, good. Oh, no, 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 that's not what I said. Yes. Just quickly to that point. It was interesting to me as I was reading this. Um, when God does say he um, He teaches his children, it says, Planim. So I wonder if that's a prophecy? Mm. Yeah. Because at that point, I mean, she had no children, and there was no promise at that point. Exactly. Good, good, good. Mm-hmm. good. All right, excellent. Okay, so we move. I'm sorry? We move on to Sodom and Amora. Yes, I had one more thing. Of course, you did something. <laughs> it was just this really interesting because in verse eight and nine they're eating, and it closes with, and they ate, and then verse nine starts. They said to him, and this is the passage where we learn not to eat and speak at the same time. It's in the Talmud. You're supposed to eat and then speak, or else it'll go down the wrong path. 
Okay. So don't talk with your mouth full is actually a biblical. Okay. I like that. That was my son. I like that. Thank you, Peter. So yes, there's there's some good. Uh, before you move to uh, Sodom, there's some difficulty in, in the uh, in the Torah here. That oh, are we going to talk about who's who's first? Yeah. yeah. Who's on there's first? Difficulty here. All right. Now pay attention. For those of you who have not heard this before, Rick is going to explain some details about the Hebrew with regard to who is speaking and who is standing before whom. Okay. Because the greater is always mentioned first, and then the lesser, and we're going to see that as we uh, as we dig down to where that is. Where is it? Where is it? You know, it's Twenty-two. Twenty-two. Um, the interesting thing is, first of all, the sages have a difficulty because, as I as I related, uh, at least from the mid Talmudic age on, that Hashem can be in any way represented in a way that can be seen. So uh, the fact that that uh, Abraham is standing before God is not a difficulty if he's invisible. Uh, we stand before God when we pray. Um, however, it is a difficulty if it says the opposite. God was standing before Abraham, which is actually what it says. And in verse um, verse 23, uh, my, in, in my Humash, which is Gutnik, says, Abraham approached God and said, and, but in the Hebrew... It actually says, and God stood before Abraham. But even the difficulty here in verse 23, where they render it God, and the reason why they render it, they're not being dishonest. They're not trying to change it so that we don't know. Because anybody that's reading this can read the Hebrew and see what it says. Mm -hmm. But there's a corrective here where there's a, a scribal note that says that when you read it, when you see it, you see it and you read it to yourself exactly like it says it, but when you speak it out loud, you reverse it. Just like when we see the Yod, the hey, and the Bab, and the hey, we say Hashem. That's a permanent karikati. You you, it's written one way, you speak another way. Uh, so here we see that, uh, but even actually in the Gutnik, it has a difficulty in the notes, says that the fact that Abraham approached God, they said, where did God show up here? Because now they're stuck. Yeah, God's here, and, it's, and it actually has the has the connotation approached God as He was still there. It's like, well, when, where did where did He show up? Because it, it can't possibly have been at eighteen one, right? No, that could. So they work. have a difficulty. Uh, but the good news is, uh, Rashi says the kriketiv is a matter of of being honoring to God. So that's not wrong, but it's wrong to say that Abraham that God was not standing before Abraham. And Rashi says that God actually was... No, excuse me, it's Rambam. God was standing before Abraham. Wow. Even though Rambam who gave us... The third yeah, third, the third, the third uh, which, yeah. which says that God, God has, has no, being. no physical corporeal, corp, corporeality <laughs> at all. So, it's interesting that they, they would do that. Okay, cool. Other comments on that? Okay, so it's not Sodom and Gomorrah. It's Sodom and Amorah. It does not start with a G. Don't be a goy. There's no. It's not Gaza. It's Aza. That's right. But, well, it's it's the Ain, so it's that like throat guttural. That's why they say Gamora because they're really saying Amorah. Yeah. If you don't know how to make that gutter guttural sound, don't try. That's right. That's right. It's not a G. Which I probably didn't do correctly just now, so please don't repeat me. That's right. All right. So Sodom and Amorah. 
And we've got the, uh, the concept of the minion. The concept of the minion. Mm -hmm. uh, we pray on the second and fourth Shabbats here. And uh, we don't just pray, but we actually have a Torah service where we actually take the Torah out and a uh, little teeny-weeny, um, teeny-weeny Torah. But we still pray around and, and we, we call up godly men to come and read the Torah out loud, not neglecting the public reading of the Scripture. And I love it. And we add parts to the Scripture, that, to, the, to the prayers, that we can't do unless we have a minion. Well, what's this all about? What's a minion? And we see here in the Scripture that we're, we're being whittled down from the 50 mark by Abraham before God in order to get down to the minimum amount that God would consider to be countable or worthy of recognition. That's what it's all about. So the sages, using this passage primarily, say, you know what? That's a minion. And if you don't have a minion, you're just a bunch of people getting together. Simple as that. And, you know, two years, I think there's only been once or twice where we've actually had a Shabbat where we didn't have a minion. And we had to change the prayer service. I mean, you know, it's, it's just, you know, it's, might as well stay at home. I mean, you know, we're going to pray anyway. You guys just show up, and that's cool. And But if we have enough, that's why we have a community. Otherwise, it's not a community. It's just a bunch of families waiting to have enough, to have a community. And you can't be in this walk very long before you realize that our faith doesn't really work well without community. We need one another. Not just to hold one another accountable, but in order to pray and to live, to marry and to revel in life and to know our God. You need community for that. It doesn't take a village to raise a child. It takes a strong dad and a mom. <laughs> but it takes a community in order to raise them in the faith of our fathers. Amen? Amen. Okay. So we get down to the uh, down to the minion. Before we get into the uh, into the town itself, any other comments? Did they have a minion? Did they have a minion in Sedona? Mm -hmm. So what do we end up with? We end up with ten. Lode and Mrs. Lode. Two daughters. Two daughters. Sons-in-law. Two sons-in-law to be. Well, and two daughters. And, and the angels? And I mean, the angels are there. <laughs> the angels. You're going to count the angels in the minion? That's yes. clever. I hadn't thought about that. Absolutely. That got me to eight now. No, it's, it's possible. Because the way it's read, there could be two daughters who have the truth. Um, men, but then two married daughters in there. Okay, boop, boop. So I would take the angels out and put the sons-in-law. Although, Actually, that's, that's, that's how you get the minion. There's four daughters. Except, I, I don't know if Mrs. Luke... Yeah, the, yeah. Well, the, the point is that actually they didn't have a minion. There were ten possibilities in the family of Lot. Okay. But because I don't know if he was a strong father or not, but some <laughs> failure along the way, right. he didn't have ten. He could have had ten. Right. But he didn't. Yes. Well, around our Shabbat table last night, we were talking about this exact issue. And Mr. May brought up the question well, why did Abraham stop at ten? You know, why not go down to 50, 45, you know, why did he stop at 10? And the, after we kind of 
noodled that for a little bit. One thought that uh, actually my lovely wife brought up uh, was, well, obviously Abraham knows a lot in his family. Right. They're blood relatives. And I personally think that's his motivation for even starting this conversation with God, don't right, you think? Right. So Abraham is trying to preserve his family in yes. the city, <clears throat> and he stops at 10, perhaps because he knows that's how many family members are there. And as long as he gets the nod from God that at least 10 is okay... That he knows his family's okay. He doesn't, he's, he's got the answer he's looking for. Exactly. Um, and... You know, but then of course, ultimately, there were not ten. I mean, even the sons-in-law uh, thought it was a joke, and they opted to stay. Which, they're, you know, back to being a strong dad. That's that's a tough in fact, commentary. Let's, let, let's not pick on Lot. Let's think about <laughs> let's think about Lot a little bit here, though. We, we learned. Okay. That, you want to go into that? Neither? Let's make sure that we understand. It's Sodom. And it's Amora. It's Lot. Talk about Lot. That's right. Lot <laughs> was in. Uh, so you learn from the Epistolic Scriptures, and to a degree from this too, that Lot was a righteous man. For those of you who are unfamiliar with that, if you'll turn to Second Peter chapter two, verses seven through nine. Second Peter, chapter two, verses seven through nine. You got? It? I got it. Already. It's like you were waiting for me to bring that up. Just, just I love that. Go ahead. That he rescued righteous Lot. 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 <laughs> greatly distressed by the sensual conduct of the wicked. For as that righteous man lived among them day after day, he was tormenting his righteous soul over the lawless deeds that he saw and heard. Then the Lord knows how to rescue the godly from trials and to keep the unrighteous under punishment until the day of judgment. Amen. So we learn from this that Lot is a righteous man. And actually, if you look at the, the, apostolic, or the, the prophets, you will find that Sodom and Gomorrah were not destroyed because of homosexuality. No, we're going there right now. They were actually destroyed for a lack of hospitality. Yep. You can get that in a second. So Lot exemplifies hospitality here. He pulls these men aside. Just like Abraham, he goes to them and says, Come with me, we're going to go out. So the question is, why was Lot's family so unrighteous? They didn't even, his sons-in-law didn't believe him. His wife blatantly disobeys and turns around and turns to uh, salt. And his daughters, maybe how potentially good motive they may have had, commit incest with their own father-in-law and get him drunk along the way, which is another, like, Wow. So what we learn from this is that obviously Lot's biggest failure was he completely missed the command to teach his children, or for that matter, I think anyone else. Because if you think about it, the ten righteous should have been easy. Why did Lot leave Abraham in the first place? His herdsmen had issues with Abraham's herdsmen. Lot had a community that he completely lost. We, uh, so I, I think about earlier, I mentioned Abraham went to his family. He pulls Sarah aside. Come help me make this bread. He gets Ishmael. Help me make the calf. What does it say about this? And Lot went and prepared everything. Lot was a righteous man, but his biggest failure was he never properly taught that, both in Delegate. guiding them and delegating with them or speaking with the, with the sodomites. He doesn't tell them, that's wrong. Here's why it's wrong. That's a bad thing. We shouldn't do that. You can have my daughters instead. He's always trying to compromise. His mm -hmm. mistake was he was not strong enough with the people around him. Amen. And it's not time to be strong with people around you until you're strong with your family. You can write that down. Yes, sir. Uh, I totally agree with everything that he said. And one other thing that came up at our table last night was uh, in, in the portion last week, uh, a portion of the Klaha, 
there's this statement at the point in that Parsha where uh, Abraham uh, and Lot uh, decided to, to kind of divide the land. Um, and it says, and Abraham being again the gracious man that he is, let Lot uh, go first to, to choose whatever land he wanted. And, you know, Lot, of course, picked the best land. And it says, it says there in the English, it says that and Lot traveled from the east and went down. Yeah, to, okay, and that word east in Hebrew is the word Kedem, which 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 it's means no, no. the ancient path, or it can even mean ancient. the ancient one. Mm. So it's like mm. when he left, when when Lot separated himself from Abraham, mm. and he goes down to Sodom and Amora, which is. This, you know, the Las Vegas of the, you know, yeah. of the, um, <laughs> the of the, you know, of, of the Dead Sea Valley. Right? Was a lush, yeah. right. You know, he goes down there by himself. He isolates himself in this corrupt, you know, unhospitable, uh, immoral, you know, place. And and while he continued to to keep the commandments himself, you see a picture here of. What happens to potentially happens to a Zadik who isolates himself, and the and the world starts to encroach upon him and his family. And it makes so it the lesson to be that Zadik. Right. So the lesson here also is going back to this notion of community. We have to stay together. Mm-hmm. When we separate ourselves from Abraham. Then we are asking for trouble. Yeah. Yeah. To, to go along with his point, there was another. Uh, once Lot and his daughters are in the cave and everything. No, we, we get to, oh. don't get yeah, hold that for just a second. Yes, Karen and I actually was talking about this on the way here, and how Lot was a righteous man, clearly, yes. and how you know are we any different? You know, we were talking about my shortcomings also, and it was like, here's was Long, long trip. Yeah. <laughs> I know. Anyway, uh, was it even right for Lot to even come to begin with? I mean, God said, you go. He didn't say, take one relative with you. He went along with him, but we were talking about that also. Lot seeing that, hey, this guy, he talks to God, and God talks to him. I'm going with him. Yeah. Right. You know, and, and that... And that Proves that he was a righteous man because he's seen that exactly. in Abraham, and we we know that the righteous preserve their generation, and you know he had to pull it away, and he's almost not preserved. Last comment that I'm going on. Well, to, to Greg's uh, reference earlier, there's the the passage in um, in the Midrash where it, it recounts that. Uh, let me see if I can find it here. But also there's. Um, Mr. Spurlock's talking about embers and how you know, the righteousness of one separate, you know, is nowhere near going to be what it would be in a community. It's brighter when we come together. And uh, well, the 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 passage was from uh, Genesis thirteen eleven, and the Midrash accounts that where Lot journeyed journeyed from the east, Bekedma. Um, it says that by Lot leaving Avram, Lot separated himself from. God, the ancient one of the world, saying, I want neither Avram nor his God. Wow. Sad. Yeah. Alright, hang on, guys. Oh, I, I got I got you. I got you. <laughs> Pirke de Rabbi Eliezer J. 
chapter 25. Uh, very good. Does anybody, anybody got it? No, he's got it. Okay. I got it. There, I got it. <laughs> there is a story of the... I meant with you. Oh, no, I don't have There is a story of the daughter of Lot, who saw a poor man on the street of the city, and her soul was grieved on the account. So she secretly fed him. It was done in secret because the leaders of Sodom issued a proclamation in Sodom saying, Everyone who strengthens the hand of the poor and the needy with a loaf of bread shall be burnt by fire. <laughs> Subsequently, she was caught and sentenced. In her hour of despair, she cries out to God for mercy, and her cry ascended before the throne of glory. Then God came down in judgment upon Sodom. Now, I know what you're thinking. You're thinking, that is the sages and a bunch of hooey and they had too much wine and they made up this story. Let's, let's keep going. There's two interesting features about this apocryphal tale. The first is that in Genesis 18, 20 and 21, when it speaks of the outcry against Sodom and Amora, the Hebrew word for outcry could be read to mean her cry. It is feminine. I realize that the word city is also feminine, but it is there. So the sages infer that the word refers to a cry of a woman rather than the cities themselves. That's cool. <laughs> Thus the legend explains, Genesis 18.20, it's referring to the cries of innocent people affected by sinful cities. The second interesting feature of this story, uh, back to what Joshua is saying, is that it explains that the sin of Sodom, not in terms of sexual immorality, but rather in terms of social sins. Interestingly enough, it is specifically what the prophet says about Sodom. Would you turn in your Bibles, please, to Ezekiel or Hezekiel 16. Ezekiel 16. Because you may think that the sages made this all up, but they're actually commenting on Ezekiel 16. So let's look at that. Ezekiel chapter 16, verses 49 and 50. Ezekiel chapter 16. If you have a homage, you can't find it in there because you only have the first five books of the Bible. If you have uh, an electronic device and you're not ultra-Orthodox, you can use that. Ezekiel what? Ezekiel 16, 49 and 50. Behold, this was the guilt of your sister, Sodom. She and her daughters had arrogance, abundant food and careless ease, but she did not help the poor and needy. Thus, this is the reason they were haughty and committed abominations before me. The prophet is siding with the sages, but actually, that's really backwards, right? The sages are taking everything into account. This is not to say that their immorality was not atrocious, bad, and terrible. What it is saying is that the prophet is clearly saying that along the lines of hospitality, and then we see confirmed again in Hebrews 13, we must be people of hospitality. These people were known not to be, and even Ezekiel says so. Uh, you, then your mother, then Greg. That, that's a pretty cool connection when Yeshua is talking about uh, uh, oh yes, Kefar Nafu. He says, if, he, if I, if Sodom and Amora yes. had seen the works that you have seen, they would have repented. So they, they didn't. See, they weren't hospitable towards the Mashiach. That's right, and that's why they're. Yeah, that's what. That's Excellent. Yes, ma'am. I was fascinated with the picture and parallelism of it being Passover and the cakes, you know, you know making the matzah, right, and then right. they fled. And I was thinking of the exodus of Egypt, that they had been given golds and treasures, and they left with great wealth. And here's 
Lotz and his family and his wife turns as if seeking the desire, the riches mm. I had heard of yes. Solomon and Mora. And, and the, the, just the difference there, but I just was that was a question that I was just thinking here about and I was looking trying to look at the Hebrew of the, the outcry of, of Sodom and Mora that it's like who would be crying? It, yeah. They were perfectly content with what they were doing. Oh yeah, they're loving. And because that reminded me of God heard the outcry of the people of Israel in Egypt. They yes. were being oppressed. There was exactly. things that were happening, which is why there was an outcry. So that that makes a lot of sense that it would have been one of the yeah. daughters. It, it works. Cool. I mean, it works. Yeah. Your comment from Rabbi Eliezer reminded me of something that's, uh, that that Mrs. Upton said last night about how when Luke's daughter, she would have been burned. You know, for it being discovered that she had helped this this poor person, yeah. and instead the city was burned in her stead. Yeah. While we can see a similar instance with Lot's wife, with the, the whole deal of salt. Yeah, it's that's good. It's really quite interesting. That's good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and just the the way the judgment takes place. You know, it says that God rained down. Uh, fire and sulfur, or you got tinjimi and brimstone. Um, and if you understand how that, how that, what that looks like, because mm-hmm. sulfur in and of itself is is, you know, I mean, it's it's just it's a it's a mineral. It's but when when it, sulfur burns, it burns very very hot. And it turns into uh, sulfate dioxide, noxious fumes. Which, uh, yeah, it's very has a very strong stench. But what happens is when you inhale it, as soon as the uh, sulfate dioxide mixes with the moisture in your mouth, your nose, your eyes, your lungs, it turns into sulfuric acid. I hate that. I really hate it. When which that is uh, which is a corro- which is highly corrosive. So literally, it, salt. it literally it burns you. <laughs> From the inside out. So you're talking about a very, very painful, painful deal. Yes. It's not a good day. I couldn't help but see the parallel between the destruction of Sodom and Amora with flood and the idea that everyone is wiped out, all the vegetation is taken out, and he rained on them. And and it's interesting, the sages point out that when it refers to God doing this, they don't doesn't call him by Elohim, which is a name traditionally associated with justice. It refers to him as Adonai, um, Hashem, which is a name associated with mercy. They say that the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah had reached such a horrific extent yeah. that to destroy them was actually an act of mercy. Yeah, that's good. And I have I was reading the sages this week, uh, and they were saying, well, you know the 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 idea of what his daughters did was born out of the fact that it's not that far after the flood, and the daughters are thinking. Holy cow, he did it again. It's just us. First it was Noah and his, and now it's just us. What are we going to do? That's, that's he said he went, he went to start with rain, but, but fire. Raining down fire, baby. Holy cow. That went along with one of the comments that I had, because I think it was in the Chumash that said that, it, again, another mistake of Lot, that the first time that happened, he woke up and, sure, he didn't know at the time, but afterwards, the morning after, he must have known that something happened last night, and he didn't say anything to prevent it from happening the next night with the next daughter. Well, you know, I got to tell you, um, being one who, yeah, I, I admit it, I, I do drink wine. Um, I got to tell you, I don't think they've created that much wine on the planet. 
<laughs> that I wouldn't know where that would happen. Feel feel good about that, my daughters. I hear. <laughs> Anyway, I thought it was only grape juice back then anyway. That's right. right. (laughs) It's my closet Baptist daughter. Uh, (laughs) I read a comment in um, Midrash Rabbah that I thought was very interesting about Lot's daughters and what they did. Um, This would be Breshit Rabbah. Right. Yes. Uh, It says, um, the angels urged Lot when dawn was breaking to take his wife and his two daughters. Mine, mine says, who are present, your two daughters who are present, but really the Hebrew uses the word hanim sa'ot, which means that we're found there. And um, so the sages say, why does it use the, that phrase? Um, why does it talk about finding them there? I mean, there's his daughters. And uh, they, they link that to a verse in Psalm 89 that says, I have found David my servant. And they link that and say, where did he find David? And they said, he found him in Sodom. Because David comes from Ruth, who is a Moabitess. And Moab came from the daughters. Yeah, the sages actually go through the fact that had this not happened, actually the sages go, go so far as to say that God superintended that this happened so that Mashiach would come. And Going back again to the whole teaching thing, though, the sages say that the reason why Lot's daughters did this is they thought everything had been destroyed. Mm -hmm. But Lot knew that everything hadn't been destroyed because the angel specifically told them, we're wiping out the valley, go to the mountain, it's okay. Yeah, we still got a problem with Lot as a dad. So again, what's what's the problem here? Lot does not teach his family... By the way, the angels said this, don't worry about it, the rest of the world's okay. It was just for this area. But again, it's the thing we are saying earlier. Lot's failures were as a teacher. He was a righteous man, but what do we see over and over in the scriptures? You have a righteous king and his son is wicked. You know, the generation after Joshua did not know the Lord. It was the next generation. Yeah. So we have a responsibility to teach our children. Yes, go. I want to defend the daughters of, of Lot. Uh, of course you do. I, 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 you don't I, have any daughters, do you? That's, and, and that's exactly yeah. why I can do it. No. Uh, no, I, cer- certainly, uh, obviously, uh, it was wrong. But their thinking, their motivation was good motivation. It's the idea that you know, it's our we've been commanded to to uh, multiply, and this is the only this is the only way that it's going to happen. Um, and in defense of them, going back, if we look back, not in defense of their actions, but rather in de- in defense of the outcome, we look back, we see that Mashiach first comes from a union between a uh, father and his daughter-in-law, uh, Judah and and, and uh, Tamar. Uh, we see that uh, uh, later on. Uh, that line is joined to a former prostitute, uh, Rachel. We see that we see that also uh, this instance here, where uh, from incest going to Amran, uh, and then uh, and then later on we get uh, after after uh, David. David uh, has Solomon in a, an illicit uh, relationship mm. with Bathsheba, uh, um, and and Solomon's born. Then we get to the. The days of Yeshua, and and certainly, although no, nothing untowards happened, there was obviously the 
I mean, it's obvious there's something wrong here something because wrong. here's a woman who's not married and, and she has a child. Yeah. So what we have is we have a history where God chooses to take our mistakes, mm-hmm. our, our even ones that may be good intention, but you have know. very bad outcome, and and he, he can... He can use them not only in a positive way, but in the most positive way. And bring glory to himself through. Amen. That's good. Scary, but good, yes. To be fair to Lot as well, I think it's really cool, because he was righteous. I want you to be just to Lot. Don't be fair. Okay, well, I just, um, we were talking about the parallel between Abraham and Lot in the case that, like, God told Abraham to do something and to leave a place, and he, he did it automatically. Didn't need any convincing or anything. He just believed, and it was fine. But Lot, God still cared enough about him to, even after all of his delay and his tarrying, he drug him out by his hand. Pulled him out. And that was a, an act of mercy for him. And, no free will. And saving him. Yeah, there's no free will. That's right. You that, are going to be Lot's saved. Because of Abraham's marriage. Ah, yes, ma'am. So could jump back a little bit to the Ezekiel passage yes. and the importance of hospitality and looking out for the least of these. Um, Matthew 25. That's right. Yeshua separating the sheep and the goats. What's the distinction of separating sheep? What defines sheep? What defines goats? I was hungry and you gave me something to eat. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. You know? or, or the reverse. I was hungry and you didn't give me something. Exactly. Yeah. So The whole hospitality thing is, is laid out there in spades. No question. You're exactly yeah. right. Yes, ma'am. Expecting that. Well, when you raise your hand, I'm going to call on you. What happened? That's right. That's right. Oh, that, see that? Look at that. <laughs> Was Lot still considered righteous after this, according to the sages? Well, I would say that the apostolic scriptures are certainly after this. <laughs> And the apostolic scriptures make it clear without question, he was, he was Second Peter, he, he was, was a righteous was. man okay. and his his righteous soul was vexed. The sages actually go either way on Lot. Yeah, they actually. I think I think the sages lean more towards he wasn't righteous, and you know. But the apostolic says <coughs> the scriptures do. Yes, they do. Second Peter, absolutely. Turn in your Bibles to. I was just going to say that's kind of a lot of lot. We've had a lot of lot, haven't we? Thank you, John. A lot of loads. A load of loads. That's a load of loads. All right, chapter 20. Abraham traveled away from the area since he was unable to find guests after the destruction of Sodom. To the land of the Negev, and he settled between Kadesh and Shur, living in Gerar. Now, without her consent, Abraham said about his wife Sarah that she is my sister. Avimelech, the king of Gerar, sent for and took. Sarah. God came to Avimelech in a dream at night. He said to him, Look, you're going to die because of the woman whom you've taken, for she is a married woman. Avimelech could not come near to her, so he said, Well, God, would you kill even a righteous nation? Now, I want you to listen to what this pagan king says to God. Because it should sound a lot like what you just heard. Are you? Would you kill even a righteous nation? Didn't he say to me, she's my sister? And she also said, he's my brother. Two, I've done this with the innocence of my heart, with the purity of my hands, for I haven't touched her. God said to him in the dream, I know that you did this with the innocence of your heart. I have prevented you from sinning against me, and that's why I did not give you the strength to touch her. 
<laughs> now return the man's wife. And don't worry about the fact that he will hate you because he's a prophet and he will know that you did not touch her. He will pray for you and you will live. But if you do not return her, know that you will surely die, both you and all that is yours. Now, I don't know about you, but I see in that just an, an incredible parallel to the way Abraham is saying to God, "Are you? Well, wait a minute, I, I'm innocent. Are you actually going to slay the wicked and the righteous together? That doesn't work. And here this king is saying the same thing. Whoa, whoa, I'm innocent. I didn't touch her. And God is like, I know you didn't touch her. I stopped you from touching her. Now, have this guy pray for you. On this, on this point, you know, it, it is interesting because he says in verse 4, uh, Lord, will you slay a nation even though it's righteous? So, Abimelech, think, at least in his own mind, he thinks his nation, his encampment is a righteous crowd. Yes. Yeah. But then when he goes to Avram, he says, Dude, what, what are you, what are you doing? What, what caused you to do this? Yeah. And Abraham says, because I saw that no one fears God here, yeah. and I thought you would kill me for my wife. Yeah. So it's interesting that Avimelech apparently thought more highly of himself <laughs> than was actually Yeah, or that you could see from the outside. Just another reason that we know that our faith is presented by how we walk it out. No, no mazuza on the door. No, no, yeah, on, no on the door. It's amazing here, if you look at the English and also look at the Hebrew, when he says that there's no fear of God in this place, it's not just there's no fear of God, but literally translated is there's only no fear of God. Yeah. In other words, it's like, like it's not like absence. a lack of, it's like the defining characteristic is there's none. Yeah. So it's intriguing that when Abimelech tells them God talked to me. We're all going to die. But it says the people were frightened. Uh -huh. So what do we see from this? God is, again, preserving Abraham through this. Abraham acts, he lies about his wife because he's afraid because the people don't fear God. So what does God do? God gives an ultimatum to Abimelech that terrifies all of his people. They're not touching Abraham after this one. That's right. So again, God's intervening on their behalf. He's protecting Abraham. Yes. I could be wrong, but why were there no God-friendly people there? And I think the idea was, we just discussed it, hospitality yeah. is the number one thing. So when they came, they didn't offer him shelter, food, drink. Exactly right. So Abraham knew, or Abraham knew, these guys don't know. Yeah, there's no God-friendly people. Excellent. Especially Abraham. Yeah, yeah. Here's the father of hospitality. He shows up and, you know, man, we're in a bad place. <laughs> I think, yes, you've already pointed out the uh, <laughs> parallel to Abraham in the way in what Abimelech is saying. So we see that, yes. you know, where it's like an yes. echo. Okay, I, I really feel very strong. I'm, I, I feel for Abimelech. I really do. I, I think that the way he talks to God, well, God says something to him, and he doesn't seem surprised that God is talking to him at all. And when he replies, he says, My Lord, he says... We slay a nation though it's righteous. It apparently wasn't very so righteous. You want to give, give Avi the benefit says, of the doubt. He says, I was innocent in the integrity of my heart who did this. And God says, Yeah, I know that. And so I think that this that Abimelech is 
like a little bit like Lot as well because he's like Lot who didn't teach his family. Ah. Abimelech may be a righteous man, but he is not leading his nation that way. Good. Well, since his uh, Avimelech, right? What's that mean? My father is king. king. So maybe he's second generation and it's just mm-hmm. you know didn't come down. Right. Too big. Mm-hmm. I like uh, I like that. Yes. Well. And, and again, when he the next morning when he goes when he summons Abraham and kind of chastises him for doing this, and then you know he gives um, he he gives uh, checks him up in my, and, my version. right. He gives him sheep and oxen and all this, and then he says to Sarah, uh, "Behold, I've given your brother a thousand pieces of silver." Um, and there's an interesting commentary on that. But then the next the second half of that verse, behold, it is it is. The NASB says your vindication in the in the stone. It says your eye covering. Yeah, yeah. this is a We read that this morning. And the idea there being that that basically he was saying, look, everybody now knows by what's happened here and the fact that I've given him you know uh, all of this you know bounty as ransom for my life. Is basically what is basically what it means. Yeah. So now everybody's going to know, Sarah, that nobody messes with you. You're, you're you are now an eye covering to them. Meaning, when they see you coming, it's like no, <laughs> because they don't. They will now know that if they mess with you, if they mess with the prophet's wife, they will have to ransom their Amen. wife. There you go. That's excellent. You know, I, I got a ton of insurance right there. I got a ton of. Cal's ninety years old. And she's hot. <laughs> wait, wait, no, this is after she's been promised. So we know she's gone through some sort of regeneration. Oh, that's right. Yeah, so she's smooth, like, smooth skin she's again. Like, yeah. Absolutely. Okay. So know. she's hot again. That's right. <laughs> Holiness, <laughs> brothers, holiness, please. That's right. That's right. In, in she's distracting. How about that? Okay. Let me. Let me. Uh, let me. Did you see the irony here, by the way? The, the womb is closing. Yeah. yeah. How? Yeah. The wombs, every orifice. I mean, yeah. this is bad news, right? This is, this is really bad news. So, did you catch the irony on Abraham's side? How old is Abraham? About 100 years old. How long has he been praying for a child? Long time's the answer. Long, really, really long time. Has he gotten one? Has Sarah's womb been opened? What's he do when he gets Sarah back? What's he do? He prays. He prays for who? For Avi's house. What happens? Bam! They all get pregnant. Everybody gets pregnant right away. What's in the water? You know, I'm reading in James chapter 5, and the, the effect of prayer of a righteous man avails much. Well, here's here's A, boy, and he prayed, bam, they're having babies. That's great. But he can't pray for himself. It's like Elijah, right? Elijah can raise people from the dead. Touch the light, come back up. His dead bones couldn't keep himself alive. They throw some dead people up. Bam! Guy, guy stands up. This is amazing. What does this tell you about Sarah's womb? Yeah. Yeah. Yes. Hashem shut that womb. He's the one that opens and closes it. And he chose to keep that one closed until the right time. Because it brought glory to him. Amen. A couple yes. quick things. Uh, wait, excuse me. Your mother was first. Something from what Delana said that I was thinking about was as they went through this process with Abraham and Abimelech, it reminds me of Jonah and Nineveh. 
and that it's a totally unrighteous location, an unrighteous city, but God had compassion. Yes. And he sent someone to share with them and to show them what the truth was. And he knew they were going to change, so he didn't want to tell them. But when he did, not only does the king change, but he changes his people, the plots, everything. And so it's when God wants to do a work in a place or in a people, it's going to happen. It's going to happen. It's going to happen with time. And it happened here. Excellent. Good. Yes. A couple of quick things we learned from this. One is that if you need something, you have a problem, it's good to pray for other people who have the same problem. Abraham prays for them, their wounds to be open, and then Sarah's womb was open. Another well, thing, you know what the saints say? The saints say that her womb was open because for the first time he prayed for some other women to have children. It's like the principle, if you want to be forgiven, forgive others. Exactly. But in this, we also learned something really cool, too. That the, uh, earlier, they noted that Lot, Lot's daughters conceive instantly. Mm-hmm. And there's, like, no problems. And yet, all the matriarchs have all these issues, mm-hmm. including all the Sarah. And now, what's cool about that is one thing that I've read from um, a book called The Committed Marriage by Rabitz and Jungris. She comments, taking from the sages, that the reason why God holds back on these pregnancies of the righteous ones, the wicked ones, they can have kids easy, but the righteous ones can't, is because God covets the prayers of the righteous. He wanted Abraham to spend all those decades praying and seeking after God before he'd respond to him. So it's like it's like he wanted Abraham to be you know, beating on the door of heaven for years. And if you think about that, it's the idea, in a sense, for us. It's like God wants that fellowship and that communion with us. So sometimes he'll take us through difficulties, but the goal is to get us to um, that place of uh, of relationship with Him. Amen. So, Amen. Yeah. Right, a couple things from the sages, and then we'll, we'll continue on. I got you, Greg. Hey. Um, this is uh, most is from Talent. Uh, if you're interested, I'll, I'll, I'll at least say where it's from, so it goes on the tape. You can write it down if you like. From where do we learn that an injured person who refuses to forgive his injurer when he apologizes is called a cruel person? From the words, Abraham prayed to God and God healed Avimelech. That's from uh, the Bavli Bava Kama 92a commentary on Genesis 20:17. Whoever is merciful to his fellow is certainly a son of our father Abraham, and whosoever is not merciful to his fellow is certainly not a son of our father Abraham. Uh, Bavli uh, Beitzah 32b. So uh, it's uh, here. Yeah, that's, that's good. I'll leave it at that. Um, oh, yeah. Um, Baba Kama 92a again. It was stated at the Academy of Rabbi Yanai that even the hens belonging to Avimelech could not lay their eggs. <laughs> we're talking everything is closed down. <laughs> yes. To support Mr. Wright's point, I was looking back at when Avraham went to Egypt with Pharaoh. Yes. And just to the point of that Abimelech wasn't hospitable. Uh, it says that Abraham he he received like sheep and cattle and all these things when he arrived, not when he left, but when he arrived. So even in that case, he was hospitable. And in this case, Abraham Abimelech wasn't when Abraham arrived. Yeah, um, don't don't be confused that Abimelech or Abimelech, same guy every time you read about. Him. It's a type. Oh. It's a type. So you could be a different guy. Okay. I want to just yeah, because yeah, you know, it's getting it's old and really old and really. Yeah. So that wasn't his name. It's a type. It's a type. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Chapter twenty-one. God remembered His promise of pregnancy to Sarah, as He had said when the angels visited Abraham. God made Sarah pregnant, as He had told Abraham at the covenant of the parts. Twenty-one two. Sarah conceived and bore a son to Abraham in his old age. That's why the sages say that she was regenerated, and you know, 
smooth skin again and real young because you mentioned that he's in his old age, not necessarily her. Uh, at the time which God had told him through the angels, Abraham named his son who had been born to him, whom Sarah had born to him, Yitzhak. Which means? Abraham circumcised his son Yitzhak when he was eight days old. Now, why do you suppose he did that? Now, this is before the Torah. I and mean, this is over here, right? But the Torah wasn't given until here. How did he know? Right after the Okay, good. So it's like Shabbat. I get Shabbat at creation before the Torah. I got circumcision before the Torah. So everybody should know. Does, does everybody know? Oh, wait. Judah, Judah, Judah had CC before the Torah as well. Yeah. Hmm. How's that work? Yeah. He gets part of what he, he gave gets, to Tamar. He gives he gives Tamar as Zitzit as 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 uh, uh, proof as a pledge. So I'll finish the verse. Abraham circumcised his son Yitzhak when he was eight days old, as God had commanded him. Abraham was a hundred years old when his son Yitzhak was born to him. So, uh, so again, this is now a year later. So Pesach. Year two. So this is this is Pesach one year after the visitation in, in chapter eighteen, um, and it is thirty years later to the day of the covenant of the parts. Exactly. So the covenant of the parts also happened on Pesach thirty years to this very day, and this is also the day that the four hundred years of Abraham's descendants sojourning, the counting begins now that his offspring has arrived. So. Uh, so a lot of times you, 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 people will say, well, how long was Israel in Egypt? And the response is, well, they were in Egypt for 400 years. That's actually wrong. They were, old, they were not there for 400 years. They were there for 210 years. Um, the 400 years is how long Abraham's descendants sojourned in a land that was not their own, of which the Egyptian exile was part of that. But the 400 years starts Major. right now. Yeah. Otherwise, Yaakovet was really, really old. Well, I mean, it's, I mean, but that's, I mean, to Greg's point, we need to, we need to, to make a note of this because it's, it's these times that people will ding the Bible and say, "Well, this, it's just, it's a fairy tale." Because it doesn't work. Because we have in the scripture a list of everybody who went in. And then you got the, the lineage of everybody who came out. You know how many people you got, you know how long they're there? And yeah. If Jochebed or Yochabed gave birth to Moshe Rabbeinu, Moses, our teacher, then holy cow, yeah. I mean Moses is pretty old too. Yeah. How's that work? So let's make a note of that. Yes, Peter. Um and Ad and I remember Sarah. Yes. It's um there's a couple explanations for what was happening there. because um, basically the sages teach that the angels are telling God that it's time to let Sarah conceive. Yeah, so the angels are are God's Siri. Yeah, I got you. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um, one of the That's an iPhone joke in case you're not you're on a droid. Okay. One of them has to do with the exile, sort of like Mr. Apple was just bringing up, but the other one is that the angels remind God that it says in numbers after a woman is suspected of adultery. Um, that if she's found to be pure then um, she will conceive. Um, and so they sort of dovetail it right off of the like Cool. That's because she was sort of just suspected. Right. Right. She went to that would tie in with that whole eye thing, too. I like that. Yeah. 
Who said that? Was that uh, the well, Baal? I don't know. It's it's in it's in the Talmud, I think. Yeah. Is it right. cited? He quotes it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yes, ma'am. I just uh, was wondering. It, it, the Bible doesn't actually mention this, but when um, in chapter eighteen, when God gives the promise originally for Isaac, He says. I will come again. I'll visit you again mm-hmm. at this time next year, and Sarah will have a son. Mm-hmm. But when we have Isaac here, he never, he never mentions that God is there. Mm-hmm. But of course, God wouldn't have lied about that if he said he was going to come back. No, God is not a man that he should lie. Exactly. So, it, but it's interesting that the Bible doesn't even mention mm-hmm. a, a return visit. But if he was going to come again, I'm sure he was there for the bris. There for the bris. There you go. That's circumcision for those of you who are not up on the Ashkenazi pronunciation. Um, you know, it's interesting. What it points out to me is that Abraham had a much richer relationship with Hashem than we even understand or not. Right? I mean, God is obviously superintending his life beyond what we normally think about. And I think that we should expect that same relationship. We should expect that God will guide us, God will protect us, and God will provide for us as we are obedient, as Abraham was. Yes, sir. It's also something really awesome in Tim Hegg's book called mm-hmm. Walk Through Bare Sheets. Mm-hmm. Um, he's, he makes a comment that the same God that <coughs> opened up the womb of, of Sarah, and it says in verse 18 that Sarah said, uh, and I'm and, and old and advanced in years, and, and that the way of, of Matter of a woman uh, is, yeah. it has ceased from you. Right. And then Yeshua, when he's walking um, in the streets, and then there is the lady with the issue of blood. She has yes. the opposite problem. She yes. is constantly need that part, but that's um, where Zero. God God does the opposite in both both circumstances. So yes. he, he makes he, he starts the process, then he and he, he will in the, the process as well. It's good. It's great. It's good. I like that. I like that. He always has weird stuff. It's just so cool. <laughs> All right. <laughs> that was mystical and messianic. Yes, <laughs> it was indeed. <laughs> okay. Uh, the uh, second to last, third to last uh, part here, uh, twenty-one nine. We've got the expulsion, as it were, of Ishmael. Sarah saw the son of Hagar, the Egyptian, whom she had borne to Avraham, become depraved. Worshipping idols. Well, do, do what you can with this version. Sarah said to Avraham, Get rid of this handmaid and her son. The son of this handmaid is not worthy to share an inheritance with anyone who is my son or with anyone as righteous as Yitzhak. His son's idol worship disturbed Avraham greatly. It's interesting how they torqued that a little bit. God said to Avraham, Don't be disturbed about the boy and about your handmaid. Whatever Sarah tells you, listen to her prophetic voice because your true descendants will be through Yitzhak. I will also make the son of the handmaid into a nation because he is your physical descendant. Avraham got up early in the morning, took the bread, the leather pouch of water, and he gave them to Hagar. He placed them on her shoulder with the boy, and he sent her away. Yes? Well, the sick when it talks about the son, sons-in-law of Lot jeering at him. This is that, that word, Yitzhak. They're, they're Yitzhaking, and then we get... Isaac come on the scene, and then we see this verse nine. Yeah, the Mikumash says mocking, but it's also Yitzchak. So it's um, 
it is a recurring theme. Yeah, we've seen this, and you bet. Yes, Joshua. Just to say, in justification of Sarah, sometimes look at this and go, oh, come on, Ishmael's like 15, he's just, you know, yeah, how can you do this to a kid like that? But <laughs> if you look at this passage, the word that, that Johnny points out, I believe also, I think I've either heard this or saw, I think someone else told me, it shows up again later with interactions between Isaac and Rebecca as yeah, husband and wife. Mm-hmm. So in other words, this word can be like, you know, kind of laughing or whatever, mocking, but it also can have a very, like, nasty, almost perverted, like, uh, connotation to it. So Ishmael is potentially threatening Isaac's well-being. And at the very least, he's threatening his spiritual well-being. And it's intriguing. that I think that they also like to point out the fact that it's the notes that the son of Hagar, the Egyptian. Yeah. In other words, it's like mm. he's pulling. He's not following the character of Abraham right. here. Right. He's following his very pagan influence. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So th- this is a spiritual danger yeah. to Isaac. We saw with Sodom and Gomorrah. Physical danger. Physical potentially and That's definitely spiritual. spiritual. You see Sodom and Gomorrah, the damage it did to Lot's family. Yeah. So we have to be careful of protecting our families from outside influence. That's exactly right. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. I mean, there is a, a physical nature to this to this phrase and this word um, because I mean that's how. The whole Rebecca thing is found out, right? Yeah. Because Isaac is being somewhat physical Playful. with her in some way. Playful, yeah. Uh, in, I think it was in August, August or September, I was in Houston, and uh, someone was, was sharing on this portion, and they brought out some things with respect to Ishmael that I thought were really interesting. And, and basically... Basically, the premise is this. He said, you know, Ishmael at this point is 14, 15 years old. So he's, he's a young man, uh, as it were, in that, in that culture. Um, and he, he, if you put yourself in his shoes for a moment, if you kind of put yourself in the shoes of Ishmael, here he is, he, his father is this very well-known, wealthy um, revered, even feared to a certain extent, uh, man uh, who's got this great reputation. Um, and in one sense, you know, he's his. You know, this is his father. He, he, in in normal circumstances, would be inheriting all of this from mm-hmm. his from his father. And now you get to this point where. When uh, Yitzhak comes on the scene, there's this immediate friction. I mean, there was always kind of friction there anyway, but now it really kind of comes to a crescendo when Yitzhak finally shows up to the point where God tells Abraham, "Yeah, you need to you need to send him away." Yeah. And naturally, Abraham, you know, is torn because he loves Ishmael. Uh, but if you so he sends him away, and they go into the desert as we continue to read. They go into the desert. They run out of water. And it says Hagar puts the boy under a tree and then leaves because she can't bear to watch him die. So if you put yourself in Ishmael's shoes, who's old enough to understand what's going on, mm-hmm. here's, a, here's a young man who, uh, who has just been rejected by his father, right? Even though it wasn't Abraham's decision, you know. Uh, it doesn't matter if you're Ishmael. Your only father just rejected you. Mm-hmm. And now he's out here in the middle of the desert, and his mother abandons him because she can't bear to watch him, you know, die. So, you know, this young man, you know, if you just kind of think about him, I mean, you're, 
you know, you're, you're the counselor here. I mean, what, what kind of what kind of damage is this doing on this young man's yeah. psyche, right? Yeah. I mean, this is a very traumatic type of thing. Mm-hmm. Well, we know, of course, that that we know, of course, that um, the well appears and preserves and brings salvation. Yeah. You know, and uh, and because that's what God promised Abraham that He would protect. Ishmael, he would become a great nation, and we know that Ishmael is the father of what is now the Arab nations, which is also kind of representative of Islam, right? And so what's interesting is if you look at the the equivalent of the Shema for, for Islam, their creed that they recite every day as part of their five daily prayers, and it's you know inscribed on their mosque and so forth, um, if you if you look at their their Shema equivalent, it says, "Allah is no father; He has no son. Muhammad is His prophet." Mm-hmm. Really? Okay. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. So you so you so you sit here and you say, "Okay, we see that Muhammad, you know, sixth century is is the one who founded uh, Islam, but Muhammad is an Arab; he's a direct descendant of Ishmael, right?" right? And is it any coincidence that the that the creed, right, uh, the calling card of Islam, is this idea that their God is not a father? Mm-hmm. It's almost like this traumatic um, thing that happens to Ishmael does some real spiritual damage mm-hmm. there, so so. and it's you you see that spiritual uh, trauma now, mm-hmm. you know, thousands of years later, kind of resurrecting itself in this thing called Islam. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, you know, some might say that's a neat coincidence, but I, I don't know. I, I think it's, it's, it's interesting. And of course, it says that, and later in the passage, it says that, um, that Ishmael uh, grew up and became a skilled archer. Mm-hmm. And the remez that I had there was back to Esau. Oh. Esau was a hunter, right? Mm-hmm. So that implies aggression. That implies offense. Offense that implies, you know, killing and you know violence. Yeah. And we see that spirit in Islam. Mm-hmm. And then down through uh, Haman and all that youth and you. To go with that, um, it's interesting because you look at that trauma of Ishmael, right? Like he's been rejected by his father and left by his mother. But think about Isaac. He was bound and put on top of an altar by his mother. (laughs) You know? Like, speaking of trauma, like exactly, like God. Different trauma to the young man. Yes. Well, but I, 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 I like that, except that. I would say Isaac allowed Abraham to bind him. That's right. Absolutely. Yes. So it was a voluntary thing. Yeah. Right, but still that same... The contrast. Yeah. The contrast. Yeah. 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 Right. So well, I mean, I guess we could look at the human response to really God's sovereignty and say that, you know, Ishmael was prophesied to be a wild donkey of a man. Yeah. Uh, and Isaac was the son of promise. So that's another way to look at what's going on there, is that these are the ones that were chosen for their purposes, that he, his purposes. And that's just another way to look at it. And going back to this point earlier with Lot, and I'm sorry, um, when he's not, teaching, know you not teaching his family, and then Abraham teaching his family, and, and the difference there, 
you look, you could look at this and say, well, Abraham failed. Ishmael leaves. Like Ishmael's a disaster in a sense. And here's this righteous man, Abraham, who's teaching, who is teaching his family. It doesn't work. But what's cool about this is the sages teach. They look at the fact that later, when Abraham dies, that Ishmael lets Isaac go first. He it gives Isaac the preeminent spot at the burial. Then they interpret from this that Ishmael ultimately repents. That even though Ishmael's life is filled with a lot of wickedness, Abraham's teaching had effect. As you see in Proverbs, it says that, you know, teach a child the way he should go, and when he is old, he will not depart from it. It doesn't mean there won't be diversions along the way, and children will do terrible mistakes and mess up, but it means that if you're faithful to teach your kids, God is also faithful to them as well. Good. Um, The sages string together a couple passages of scripture, um, because when it says uh, she... Drive, drive away the slave woman and her son. That word drive away is only used three times in the Tanakh. People in Bolivia can't hear you. Okay. <laughs> yeah, so the first time is, is here. Um, and then it says it in Proverbs, it says drive away the scoffer. And then it says it in Exodus about um, we'll have to drive them out of here, out of Egypt. So they put it together that um, Sarah sort of made a mistake in sending Hagar away because we were only supposed to drive out the scoffer. We were only supposed to drive out Ishmael. Hmm. But because she went ahead and drove out Hagar, then her descendants, Sarah's descendants, are going to be enslaved in Hagar's homeland, hmm. which is Egypt. Yeah. And we'll have to drive them over there. Oh, you got to love those sages weaving that stuff together. <laughs> That's right, they are there. Okay, and we move on to the greatest passage in the Torah. I'm skipping past the covenants. How many times is this read during the year? 365 days. Yeah, but if you count the number of times... Actually, no, the number of times is more than 365 days. Yeah, it's a lot more. Because on Yom Kippur, we like read it five times. Five times, you got it... Uh, it's read on one shot Yeah. So you're, you're, you're going to hit close to 400 times when we read this particular passage. Chapter 22, the Akedah. What happened was, after the words... Uh, God tested Avraham. He said, Avraham, he said, Hineni, here I am. Please take your son, your only one, whom you love, Yitzhak, and go away to the land of Moriah and bring him up there for a burnt offering on one of the mountains where I will tell you. Now, the, we've been walking through the, uh, the Gospels and we just... Uh, went through the bot coal, the voice, that uh, parallel back to this, where God's voice is heard either by John or Yeshua, and we can argue about who heard it, who it was for. I think it was for the Master himself, and I think that uh, God was clearly identifying him so that there would be no mistake that he was, in fact, his son, his beloved son. And it's such a beautiful parallel back to hear. It is extraordinary. So let's hear about the Akedah and lift up uh, Messiah Yeshua as you go through this. Anybody? I think uh, I think it's in Acts uh, where Stephen perhaps is giving Chapter 7? Chapter 7 and or it's in I thought it was in Jude but um, the idea that 
that Isaac was actually killed. Yeah, in, in, in Hebrews. In Hebrews. In Hebrews. Okay. Yeah, he was brought back to life, as it were, you know, right. in a parable kind of thing. Yeah, which, which is the uh, midrashic understanding. Understanding as well. So, I mean, that and the fact that Abraham told these young men, <laughs> "We are going to go up, and we are going to return to you." So he knew. And this is part of the 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 aspect of Abraham that we all should strive to have is the, the knowing that God is going to provide a way and we, when we don't see it and that it's the process is going up to the mountain and trusting in God just doing what, what you're told to do yes. and he'll, he'll always be faithful to pr- bring back his, his his Mashiach with you when you come back to Amen. well and just to kind of echo that if you noticed in the Haftorah the Shunammite woman's son dies. She packs up her donkey and heads to go get the man of God. And and Alicia sees her coming and sends Gehazi out there and go find out if she's okay, if everything's good with the house and the, the husband, husband and, and the child. And she responds all is well. You know, so when in the natural all was not well yeah. but it's again it was it was that faith yes. that, that was speaking you know so you see that same thing with Abraham saying okay I know God told me to go up and sacrifice my son but we're coming back mm-hmm. because he had to believe that God cannot lie God promised that his descendants would come through Isaac mm-hmm. so Good. Yes, Speaking and coming back together, I find it very interesting, and I think the sages comment on this, that throughout the entire story, the entire chapter, um, over and over you hear um, the togetherness of Abraham and Isaac. When he starts, he takes both of them. And then when they says to his young man, stay here, the lad and I will go yonder. And then it says, the two of them went together. And then they have this little conversation. And then it finishes with, the two of them went together. And then, he there's a whole sacrifice thing, there's this traumatic and then the ram and then it says and Abraham returned to his young men and Abraham stayed at Bershaw cool. exactly. but how about Isaac? Yeah. stayed there to build the shul yeah. that's right, that's, right. I know. Absolutely. Yeah, but that's why Sarah felt, uh, yeah, Rebecca what, she falls off the camel right? Um, no I think that togetherness between the father and the son is a beautiful picture back forward if you will to, to Yeshua and his his overriding theme when he comes up out of the water from that point on he's talking about the father and how he is the son and how what he says is what the father said and what the father says is what he says there is a oneness a togetherness a unity and a chad that is right out of this story it is a beautiful picture of of uh, his ultimate and consistent obedience to the father's will and again, just going back to the Haftor, because the Haftor is just so perfect, right? Thank you, sages. Absolutely, because you have you have the promise of a son, uh, just like you like you have with Sarah. But you're jumping into the middle. I mean, don't forget the oil, right? Well, I mean, you got you've got miraculous provision. You got you got oil coming out of nothing, right? I'm thinking about a baby coming out of an empty womb, you know, right? So, but what's interesting is. Hazal say that the young boy, the Shunammite woman's son, Hazal, our sages of blessed memory, say that the young man who, uh, the young son, the Shunammite woman's son that died, is actually Yonah, the, the prophet. The prophet Jonah. Okay. 
So, I know, I know. It's so and so what happens <laughs> is totally cool. What happens because we yeah. we know that her that her husband who had died, right? She's a widower. We know her husband. It says he was a disciple of the prophets, mm-hmm. right? Uh, he had, he had, he he had died, and now she's left with. Um, no, I'm sorry, that may be just the first. That's the first one. Sorry, but in this case, uh, Hazals say that the young man that died was in fact Yonah, and after his resurrection, he then became a disciple of Elisha, and 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 then later became had his own prophetic ministry. So then, when we see in the apostolic writings, when uh, when the the Pharisees and the scribes and everyone are asking Yeshua, give us a sign. And he said, the only sign I'm going to give you is the sign of Yonah. And he, and, he, and he goes on, he says, just as Yonah was in the belly of the fish three days and three nights, so the Son of Man will be in the earth three days and three nights. Okay, Obviously speaking of his death, burial, and ultimate resurrection. Mm-hmm. But there's a double whammy here because if in fact this young man in the Haftorah was Yonah, then they know this. And Yonah was resurrected from the dead. Amen. So it's like there's a play there that, 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 that's been understood. Yeah. You know, that it's just incredible. The Goy would never get it. Right. But the, whether the Jew would get it. Actually, whether it's true or not, they would have understood. Right. That's exactly Absolutely. right. If you take a son, only a son. death, only a, son. an only son, a death, and the oil of anointing that you use for a priest and a king and throw them all into a bucket. Shake them up. You'll end up with the gospel account. It's unbelievable. I think really awesome how you hear the word hinei three times in this book. That's right. Hinei uh-huh. And whereas uh, in the garden, God asks... Um, where, where are you? Where are you? And and then also in, in this in chapter eighteen, he asks Abraham, "Where is Sarah, your wife?" Even though he, he probably knew she's in the tent. You think? And <laughs> that's, that's, okay. And but the idea is when God asks you the question, "Where are you?" Um, it's it's always a spiritual idea. It's not where are you located. But here God says, just calls Abraham, and Abraham says, "He may be. Is I am here." So this is the idea where he is in the right place. He is. He's he's there. I like. It. Speaking of place, he's where God would have him. Speaking of place, and this this goes to the notion of place, and that the place was important. Uh, we we read that when Abraham first comes into the land, he sets his tent between I uh, and and Bethel, and and the the Humash, uh, the Gutnik says, and he, he went periodically south. Actually, it says that he went south, but the Humash says he went periodically to the south to pray. Mm-hmm. And the and the and the notion that he's going and it's not much of a distance there to get to actually to this place, Morias. This is the place that he knows. This is where he goes. Uh, Shalem is where he goes when when he's uh, when he comes back after his battle with the uh, right. with the kings and he meets Makitza. He knows this place, and so it's no surprise that when he says go to the mountain, go to the mountains of Moriah. That when he it says he lifted up his eyes and uh, on the third day he lifted up his eyes and he saw the place Hamakom that he knows this place this is a place he's intimately familiar with and it says that he saw it uh, and it uses the same root word that we see named the parsha uh, uh, 
And, and this same root word we're going to see later on after when he names the place, he says, uh, verse 14, Abraham called the name of the place Hashem Yira, uh, uh, which is some, from the same root. Not that he will provide, but this is where he's seen. I got one, I got one. Okay. Where he will be seen. When he's behold, then he sees the ram caught in the thicket. Mm -hmm. The thicket is also, I guess, translated. My blue letter Bible told me last night that it was the same word for tree. Right. So you think on that mountain, the tree, and then you do see. Uh, I don't know. I like that. I like that. Well, the along the same lines, when it says, and he saw, and he saw the ram, it said afterwards is what it does yeah. in English. The word afterwards is wrong. Okay. It 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 is a it is a it is a leap of time and space. So there's the notion that that and this is why the sages say uh, what things were created on 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 which days and it says before 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 his creation. The force, yeah, and the ram caught in the thicket is one of them, and the reason why is because this word because it says it like it didn't belong in that time and space. It's like that. Excuse me for my science fiction. A portal opened up in the, in the space time. Suddenly, there's a ram there that wasn't there before. Which is why Yeshua says, Abraham saw my day. That's yeah. right. Yeah. Yeah. Looking through the wormhole. Verse 14, it, it says, you know, Hashem Yireh. And it is said this day. That's right. That, that's the day he's talking about. On the mountain. I don't know, I will be seen. That's and, pretty amazing. And it is nice. extraordinary. For those of you who are geographically crippled, like me, <laughs> where is Mount Moria? Temple Mount. Temple Mount. Right there. Yeah. How about that? That's an amazing thing when you think about they built a temple where this happened. This is where he was going down to pray. This is where the master went in. This is an amazing thing. It's all the bookstore nearby named Moria Bookstore. Yeah, there you go. Good bookstore. And, <laughs> and I think probably most of us know, but just in case somebody doesn't, the name of the city, Jerusalem, or Yerushalayim uh, in Hebrew, is a conjunction of this word Yireh and Shalem, or Salem. Shalom. So it's the two of those words to, together that we get the name of the city, Yerushalayim. We can see peace. Okay. God makes peace between God and man. And after that offering is done, and God comes and blesses Abraham, um, or the angel speaks God's blessing to Abraham, it's interesting that they talk about your seed will do this and your seed will do that, and it says that your offspring shall inherit the gate of its enemy. Now, on a literal level, that simply means the idea that they'll be victorious of their enemies. Because the gate is the entrance of the city, so you take the gate and the fighting is over. That's right. But I think I can't help but remember of Messiah Yeshua's words when he's speaking to his apostles. He goes, he's in uh, Caesarea Philippi, which at the time is like this pagan temple area. San Francisco of that day. Which, interestingly enough, has this hole in the mountain. I've actually been there. 
they'd throw offerings into, and if it went in the river below it and came out the other side, it was accepted, and if it didn't, then it was not accepted or whatever, but it almost kind of has this kind of gates of hell kind of look to it, you know? And what does Yeshua say? He says, the gates of hell, talking about his assembly, shall not be able to triumph against it. So we see here, like, your offspring shall inherit the gate of its enemy. It's like a prophecy, and we see this also with Rebecca, with, uh, with um, when she leaves to go to be with Isaac, her family also gives her a similar blessing. This idea that God's seed is going to be victorious against all of its enemies, ultimately, and not just the physical ones, but the spiritual ones as well. And it's through his seed, Messiah, that we have the ultimate victory. Amen. All the Tehran should look out. <laughs> all right. Final note. Yes. Yes, ma'am. <laughs> Time back to Ishmael, to Hagar, to Nimrod. Okay. Nimrod's offspring was Cush. Cush begat Africa. Okay. Thus, Egypt. Uh huh. And that Nimrod was saying, let us go make bread and water and build. Tar and pitch. And Egyptians also have that same heritage. Mm -hmm. And our people, Israel, were used to construct, you know, whatever. Yeah. And it being man-made, Hagar and Abraham, Abraham, begat Ishmael was a man-made. Man's about. Correct. And Isaac being God-made, you know, or designed. Thus, the man-made had to be taken out from the equation for Isaac to be given the inheritance. And the blessings. Because Ishmael was the firstborn. So he had to be taken out. I just thought that's and, and Nimrod was considered the mighty hunter. Yeah. That's why I yeah. went back there. Absolutely. I think it's very interesting. Just to, just to kind of pick up on this uh, this point you raise. Isaac is the not the the firstborn right. physically; he's the firstborn spiritually, right? But but that's mm-hmm. but that's that that pattern we see over and over again because Jacob was the second born, Esau was the first, but Jacob gets the blessing, right? We can go back to Noah; Shem is the second born, mm-hmm. but. Adonai dwells in the tents of Shem, not in the tents of Yafetz, who was the firstborn. Mm-hmm. So there's this pattern that we see that even in the natural, it's appropriate for the firstborn to have, you know, the inheritance. There's something in God's economy that says, well, "Wait a minute." That always tends to be man's effort, and my effort, you know, is what. Is what's going to be blessed. That's right. So you see this pattern, you know, throughout the throughout the scriptures, where the second son is the one that 
Yeah, of except course, the Jews hijacked. They love that. Oh yeah, because they say, well, the Jews were first, and the Gentiles' church is second. We yeah. win. Um, for those of you who are not familiar with the vernacular, we're reading Adonai Yireh, but in the in your English Bibles, that is sometimes written as Jehovah Jireh. And that's where you get the song, Jehovah Jireh. Yeah, there's no such thing. Okay? There is no such thing. Either word. That's right. Jehovah is completely made up word, and it's not Jireh, it's Yireh. Okay? Yes. I saw something kind of bouncing off what Gloria was saying a moment ago. Um, back in 2115, when the water of the skin was consumed, she cast off the blood beneath one of the trees. Cast off, there is the word we use for the Rosh Hashanah, Tashlik Vatashlach. Uh, so that idea of getting rid of these sins, as it were, yeah. you know, in our lives and pursuing only the things which God provides is, is very evident there. God provided His only Son for us. And... This story makes it clear. Now, remember that this is the Bible that the Master was using when he was quoting constantly. This is it. And he made it clear over and over again. They should have known the time of their appearance, of his appearance. They should have known how this whole story is going to be laid out. And what's the beautiful part of that? The church will teach us that they didn't. They completely missed it. They were all messed up. Not true, is it? No. In fact, many, I would go as far as say most, but many did see it, did believe. In fact, tens of thousands did. And you have faith today because of their faith. Amen? Amen. The last part of this chapter, 22-20, we have the birth of uh, Nahor's children. And um, that's where we have Rebecca, uh, Rivka, right? She is uh, mentioned here specifically in the scripture because she's going to be part and parcel uh, in our next uh, readings as we see God keep this line going because we've already got Ruth and we can have a line of Messiah coming through all these people. One thing I love about this passage is... um Abraham has just offered Isaac, so he had the chance of losing the promise, in a sense there. But he trusted God, and God rewarded him. He didn't have to offer Isaac. But what's got to be in Abraham's mind at this point, he's already kicked out Ishmael if he's a bad influence on his son. Where is he going to find Isaac a wife? And what happens is after this offering, where he acts in faith towards God, risking the very promise, it's like God sends him this reminder don't worry, I got the details covered. Just to let you know, your brother, he's had like 20 relatives, but only one girl, interestingly enough. And, of all of them. Doesn't it remind you of the birth story? I mean, we read that this morning in Luke chapter 1, right? When, when he's talking, when the angel is talking to Miriam, what's he say? Hey, don't worry about it. I mean, your cousin, remember? Elizabeth. She was barren. She's already, what, three months, six months pregnant? She's doing six months. Right? That's, that's amazing. It's the same kind of thing here, right? Don't worry about it. Here. Nachor's had a daughter. A couple other quick comments. Not to keep beating the drum of Pesach, but 
the Akeda, according to the sages, happens on Pesach as well. So you have this continued theme all through this passage, which of course is appropriate. Uh, the other thing that we didn't talk about at all, but is highly messianic, is the whole covenant with Abimelech at Beersheba. Yeah. Um, and so I, I won't go into all of that right now, but there was water and a well involved. Yeah, it's water right. <laughs> and a well. It had to be good. And, uh, and, and there's, it's just it's full of messianic. Amen. Amen. Uh, yes, sir. All right. Final comment. What? You to yes, Karen. That's what I can hate in that. What the, the word, whatever the word is, I'm not going to say. Thank you. Thank you. It's yeah. not load and it's not. Okay. <laughs> Akeda? Is that what you're saying? It's a binding. The, bi- binding. the binding of that's, Akeda. That's the name of this portion. Okay. This part of this portion okay. is called the Akeda, or the binding. When, when, a, man, when a man wraps the fillet, pray, uh-huh. it leaves marks. Mm-hmm. That's Those are representative of the word Akeda, to, to be bound. Mm-hmm. Marks were left on it. Okay. And this is the same sense where Yeshua shows his mark stripes. Right, I say it. You know, remember later on with Jacob when there's when he has the striped poles in front of the goats, right? Mm-hmm. Uh, the striped poles. That word "striped" is the same word. I quote. Mm-hmm. One of the one of the things that you referred to too is Shem, secondborn, and I'm just wondering what kind of chance Ham would even have. With a name like that, <laughs> he's definitely not kosher, baby. <laughs> I hereby join myself to the Master Yeshua, the Messiah, the Righteous One, who is the Bread of Life and the True Light, the source of eternal salvation for all those who hear Him. Like a branch that remains in a vine, so may I and all of us remain in Him, just as He also remains in the Father, and the Father in Him, in order that they may remain in us. May the grace of the Master, Yeshua the Messiah, the love of God, and the fellowship of the Holy Spirit abound to us all. And everyone said, Amen. Amen. Thank you, folks. How's that? Two hours.